Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 14, and it reads, Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. If you will, as we're preparing to take your seats, help me introduce the title for today's message. Everyone say, Growing in Christ, Part 2. Hallelujah. You may take your seats. Growing in Christ, Part 2. Last week, we started in Growing in Christ, and we began to talk about the variety of ways that we can see ourselves grow. In fact, I quoted a uh, journal article from the American Psychology Association. It was from March 2023, entitled Losing My Religion. I talked about how I was amazed that as I had been studying the text and preparing kind of what I thought lined up, how the study found findings were so eerily similar to the things I believe that God had placed in my heart that this study found that there were four major reasons why people were walking away from the faith or disconnected with faith. The first one we talked about last week was intellectual reasons. There's this belief that if you become more intelligent, that you outgrow your faith. And I talked about how I don't believe that it is our intelligence that grows us away from our faith. I do believe that there's a strain of thought that believes that we should. But it is not uh, a misnomer, nor is it contradictory for you to be highly intelligent and highly academically accomplished and to still have faith. It is, it is not an antithesis for you to have a Ph.D. and also have G.O.D. I believe that the two can go together. Hallelujah. Amen. The second reason was because of what they call religious trauma. And religious trauma is when you recognize that parts of our faith, especially Christianity, but many others, have done bad things. And some of us, we've been made to deal with this in recent years around kind of white nationalism and how this has become the uh, rubber stamp for what Christianity is, as if this is the only way that it is practiced, and that if you do not move in ways that seem hateful towards others, that then you are not Christian. Now, just as a moment of uh, clarity and caveat, Hateful does not mean that you can't disagree. You can disagree and be loving. You can disagree and hold to the mandates of God and still love individuals. It also doesn't mean that you're more loving because you sacrifice the truth you do believe so as not to be offensive. But we'll get further into that in the message. But number, two, number three then became personal adversity, that when we go through ourselves, this is one of the most challenging moments and an opportunity to get us potentially to walk away from the faith. And it is my belief that adversity is 
is necessary for growth. I'll say it once more. Adversity is necessary for growth. All right, I'll say it to our young people because y'all ain't grabbing it. Young people, I want you to know adversity is necessary for growth. I think we've gotten to the place where we believe if it ain't easy, it ain't God. If it ain't easy, it ain't God. However, anybody that has ever accomplished anything, apparently the rolling wind of God is on its way. <laughs> you recognize that some things can only be accomplished through adversity. I've told this story a number of times, but it bears marking now that there was an experiment done where they had created a uh, controlled atmosphere. There's the biosphere, right? And they go into the biosphere trying to determine what different minerals, what different uh, water, what different light, how this affects the growth of certain plants and trees. As they created the biosphere, they were amazed at how plants were so adaptive and how these trees were growing. But one of the things that they had recognized was that certain trees in the biosphere wouldn't grow as tall as they would in their natural habitats. They began to study, was it something wrong with the soil? Were they're not getting the proper nutrients? And they kept bumping their heads into trying to figure out why were the trees now sometimes half the size as they would have been if they would have grown for the same amount of time in their natural habitat. As they continued to study, they recognized that although the trees were growing, since it was in the biosphere, there wasn't the same amount of wind blowing up against the trees. They recognize that what happens when the tree is planted in its natural habitat, as it is growing, not once it gets tall, but as it is growing, there's enough wind to push the tree. As the tree recognizes this, it develops what is called stress wood. This is additional, harder, stronger wood that allows the tree to be able to deal with the wind as it is blowing. And so this additional stress wood allows the tree not only to be able to, to hold its place when the wind blows, but also grow taller because it now has the ability to deal with the adversity that comes from the wind. And I believe the same thing is true for the believer that we need to be able to see the adversities that come our way not as a way to diminish us but as a way to strengthen us that God is not not loving you because you had to go through God is not walking away because things are difficult. God has not walked away because you have not accomplished all the things on your list of accomplishments or the things you thought you should have accomplished by said age. That some of this is meant to make you stronger. 
And as I thought about this, I was amazed as we, we walked, right? So we, we're talking about this text in, in Ephesians. This is, this is a text that is believed that could go to many variety of churches. The writer, who is probably Paul in some forms, but more than likely Paul's associate that helped him fill in, is trying to make sure that you understand that spiritual growth is necessary. In fact, growth communicates health. And I'm not talking about, you know, negative things growing. We're not talking about swelling. We're talking about honest growth. And if that is the case, then a lack of growth communicates illness. And if that is the truth in the natural world, then this could be true in your spiritual life. If spiritual growth communicates spiritual health, then if you're not growing spiritually, it could communicate spiritual illness. That we've lived into a way in our faith that may be sickening us to our core. He says, this is what this looks like. I no longer want you just to, to be like children. I don't want you to remain immature. I want you to continue to grow in the way that God has for you. And the spiritual gifts all around are meant to do this. And let me show you what it looks like. He says that you speak the truth in love. And you keep growing in Christ. Last point, last place, where they talked about the reason why people walk away from the religion or faith is they say an unwelcoming faith community. And this seems to tie in perfectly to the text. Now, to be clear, if somebody could make you walk away from your faith, you've put your faith in the wrong thing. I just want to be very honest. I want to be very clear. In fact, as much as I want more of you to come to our church for our Emmanuel, I want you to be, I want you to be around, but you are destined to bump into somebody that you just don't like. It's, it's, it's natural. You, you ain't going to like everybody that follows Christ, and that's okay. Everybody ain't going to smile at you. Everybody won't always be the nicest to you. Sometimes you might catch somebody else on one of their bad days the same way that they may catch you on one of your bad days. This is destined and bound to happen. What I want to hope and what I want to believe is that you are so planted in your community that one person should not be able to represent the whole bandwidth of that community that you should have at least run into two or three other folks that did smile at you. You should have had at least one conversation with somebody praying for you. You should have seen something happening there that was worth staying. Because I also know as a faith leader, we love excuses. You look for the reason to walk away from the church. You look for the reason to say, I ain't got to uh, do nothing. I don't got to serve. I ain't got to show up because you want the easy route again. So that's one part. And then there's another part. It's about the community itself. That as a representative of our church, once you claim us as your own, you ought to be acting like the church. means that you should be doing your best to be loving. You should do your best to be welcoming. And we should be growing in that. And the truth is, 
maybe you didn't start that way. But watch this, watch this. I want to hear the testimony. You know, we are, back in the day, we used to have the testimony service, and somebody come in, be like, oh, my God, I was so sick, you know, and God healed me. And I love those. That's absolutely amazing. I want to hear that, right? But I also want to hear the person who's like, you know what? When I started, I had a bad attitude. I was just mean and cantankerous. I want them to use that word. I was cantankerous. And Jesus entered into my soul. And I recognized that the way I had been acting wasn't the way God wanted me to act. So it caused me to change. I, I, I can't imagine what a testimony like that might look like. What would happen if people that really knew you start seeing the new you and all of a sudden they had to recognize if that was you and this now is you. Maybe there's something to this God you serve. It should be that way. That's what, that's what our growing should look like. It doesn't mean we start everywhere we're supposed to be, but it does mean we keep inching towards where we're supposed to be. And it says, watch this, that the evidence of your growth is one that you speak the truth in love. Everybody say, speak the truth in love. This is, this is almost two-parted, but it really can't be separated. You're speaking the truth, but that truth is rooted in love. The first part is to speak the truth, you got to know the truth. It presupposes that we're constantly learning so we can best understand and discern what truth is. Ultimate truth is that God is truth. God is love. God is the divine initiator, starter, and sustainer of all things. We are but a byproduct of the great grace and gifts of God. We only have life because God decided to. That's where we start. The, the wisdom text tells us that, that the understanding and fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So we have this truth. But the truth should also be wedded and developed out of love. Therefore, I'm not walking around trying to use lordship of my knowledge of the truth to use it over and against other people. Okay. The goal and the gift of having the truth is not so you can point at yourself to look so good but so that you can be a helper to help other people get the truth that you have. That you want them to know this and have this in such a way where it's meaningful. For truth to be in love, it does not communicate how it is received, I want you to hear this, but how it is delivered. I remember growing up in the church, and I tell the story of one of the ladies at our church who was, when I tell you this was Jesus' little cousin, this lady was Jesus' little cousin, okay? I had never found somebody more holy than this woman. She, and, I, and, and, you know, some of it is the funny part, like she carried the big Bible. Like when it's time to open the Bible, she would open up, put her glasses on. Like you knew that she had a prayer life. Like she dressed like, ho 
how many of y'all know what holiness is? Any of y'all familiar with holiness? Okay, for those of you all that don't know holiness, that means that your skirt always come below your knee. That means you always got on stockings. She barely used makeup. Like, she didn't do nothing. I don't think she ever played cards. That was the devil. I mean, she was, she was Jesus' little cousin, okay? And there will be times now, and, and, and this, is, this is what I love about church, right? Because she worked with youth. So you already know the challenges that showed up. Young ladies would come to church with their knees out. Not even being super fast, just, you know, baby fast. They was just baby fast. You remember the, remember the shorts, baby fat? Like, uh-uh, you ain't wearing that. Why you got something scribbled all across your bottom, right? What I learned about her is that although I didn't always agree with what she said, I recognized that what she was saying actually came from a place of love. Watch this. And it was borderline judgmental if you didn't know her. But when you knew her, she was so amazingly consistent. She would show up for the person that needed it. She would tell you that you were wrong for having a baby out of wedlock, but then would pick you up and make sure that you made it to school. She was that person. She would make sure you had food, but then talk about you. This is why you need to be doing better in school, because you don't want to live the way your parents are living. I might not have said it that way, and she might have been right, but it came from a place of love. And it would rub folks the wrong way until you recognize where it came from. I say this for two things, because I want to grow up a healthy church. I want to grow up healthy believers. I want to grow up folks that can grow. I want to say this because I think we've gotten to the point where we've become so sensitive that we can't recognize intention anymore. We want to be offended. We look for offense. In fact, uh, <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble with this one. But um, I got a family member, and she'll be like, you got to get out of that spirit of offense. I don't think the spirit of offense is a real thing, but I get her point, right? The idea is we're looking to be offended more than trying to see what is actually being said. So we miss the message because we're so busy trying to be in a season where everybody is offending us. Oh, my God, I'm always the victim. Oh, my God, nobody understands me. Oh, my God, nobody else cares. Oh, my God, they're always pointing things out. Sometimes people are actually trying to help you. And then on the other side, maybe the first thing you say to somebody shouldn't be a place of correction. Because if I don't know you, I'm probably not going to receive all the things that you want to give to me. And this is what I know well. My God knows me well enough that he ain't going to send you who don't know me, has never met me, to tell me a message for me to receive from you who I don't know, can't trust, and can't verify the message that you gave me. But know who can tell me? The folks that have poured into my life, the people that have walked with me, those that have seen me in my good and my bad. And I know my God talks to me specifically. And so if God want me to shut up, God will say, Jason, shut up. So the church should be a place 
where we can be accountable and we speak truth to each other. You see somebody going the wrong way, you can speak that, but it's based upon relationship. And do they know that you love them before you try to correct them? Meaning that you can't just talk about the youth and never serve the youth. I'm going to say that again. Everybody got something to say about the young people and young folks this and, oh, my God, this generation crazy. And, and oh, my Lord, they doing all this. And you ain't never showed up. You never go around. You never help. Oh, I can't. My nerves too bad. Well, that's the reason why they act the way they act, because your nerves too bad. And you ain't about to have no nerves, because you keep letting them raise up like this, man. Listen. L listen. Well, what would happen if we created that? One of the reasons why we even have our young people come to our worship service is because we want them to participate here, too. But they're not some other thing just off in the cut, but they also have value here. We speak the truth. We want them to hear the message, and we give them a space to respond because they, too, are learning to speak the truth in love. Scripture says that this is a sign of spiritual growth, and you can check it. You can check it. When you want to tell somebody something, what does it fulfill in you? When you want to speak the truth, what does it fulfill in you? If it makes you feel better because you have truth and they don't, that's not love. If you are using it to hurt them, that's not love. We can use truth as a weapon for harm. And Jesus lifts us up. This is some of his problems with the Pharisees and the religious teachers is he recognized that you guys have the truth, but the way that you are using it is harmful. And this is the reason why you've not heard me preach yet about abortion. It's not because I believe that we should go out and have abortions and I don't want to say nothing, nor is it because I think we need to be fanatical and act like women shouldn't have choice. It's because now it's not even about the truth anymore. It's used as a dog whistle to grow harm and um, breed separation. There's no reason that a woman should not be able to determine what is happening in her body. And that same woman should be given to the spirit of God to say, if God gave you life, might there be something that God wants to do with it? I never forget, I'm listening to this story. There was a kid and there was, um, they were using it and he found out that his mother had intended to abort him. Broke his heart, broke his heart. But then we looked at what he became. He actually became a doctor. Right, he was working in, I can't remember which industry, but he was doing all this stuff. And then we were left to ask the question, what would have happened if she did do it? What might we be missing? And that's what the truth is. That's what growing in love is, is when we can get to the point where we ask realistic questions and we're honest that, yes, we do believe that you should have choice. However, how you use that choice should also honor God. The both can work together. 
But I don't have to put that in policy and make that a requirement so then you have to run all over different countries trying to get the help that you need, especially when this more than likely affects people who are black and brown and less resource. This is problematic. We got to be able to speak the truth in love. And that's another reason why you haven't really heard me talk that much about the former president. Because I can't say that stuff in love yet. And so the Lord is working on me. And as I'm trying to get there to be able to speak that truth, I'm recognizing there ain't a lot of love in my heart. And so I'm trying my best. However, I can say that there's something wrong when we think we need an immoral person to bring about moral ends. I believe anybody can change. I believe anybody can live for God. I believe anybody God can use. However, it's problematic for the moral majority to support immorality. That's just contradictory. All right. Then he says, so this is a market. This is how you can tell you're growing how you begin to speak the truth. In fact, some of you might be growing because you can recognize that you almost said something. The, the fact that you got the statement, I almost said something, might mean that the Lord's working in your life. You ought to go ahead, pat yourself on the back. Go ahead, thank Jesus, because you know you would have said it. But today you woke up and it's like they snatched them words out your mouth. God showed up for you. You're growing. And the next place it says is that then we're growing in the ways of Christ. How we talk and how we act. Growing in the ways of Christ. Meaning, we need to know what are the ways of Christ. If Christ is not judgmental, we should not be judgmental. If Christ is compassionate, then we should be compassionate. If Christ preaches repentance, we should preach repentance. And if Christ is willing to forgive, then we should be willing to forgive. We have a model for what growing in Christ looks like. We just need to follow it. Promise. This is, I'm done. But I, I probably told y'all this more than you care to hear, but when I was, when I was younger, I, I wanted to be just like my dad. I wanted to act like him. I wanted to walk like him. I wanted to talk. I wanted to be tall like him. So you see, I'm still praying on some things. <laughs> and so there were some things that I didn't even have to do. People would come up to me, man, you look just like your dad. Man, I would beam with all types of pride, right? Because in the DNA, certain things would make us look alike. But then there were other things that I would just pick up subtly. Not because I was trying to be an apprentice, but since I was around him, seeing how he did something would influence the way I did it. Thus, I began to do certain things like him. So much so that my mother would say, get out of my face, you're acting like your dad. Right? But then there was another way. There were certain things that my father did that 
They just weren't natural for me. And I had to work. I had to intentionally try to do them. Like, I, I remember, I, I used to be, like, my feet, I feel like I used to walk around like this. Like, my feet would just be all, like, out there like this, right? That's not a cool walk. There's no way to walk around like, hey, yeah, you know, I'm a cool guy walking like this. But my father had to straight up walk, and it was almost like his, his feet went, like, straight. I was like, man, I want to. So I'm constantly trying to readjust my feet, walk straight. To the point where I was like, you know, I'm going to overcorrect. Now I'm going to walk pigeon toes. So I walk around like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Just but I had to intentionally try. The same is true for our spiritual walk. There's some things that as soon as you get saved, your, the spirit of God begins to give you a DNA shift. Your desires start to shift. In fact, you sense it even before you come. It's one of the things that leads you there. You sense your heart changing and you want to please Jesus. You want to follow God. You want to be a part of that. That's not all you doing. These things just start to change because your DNA changes and you want that to happen. And then there are other things that begin to change because of your proximity with Christ. What does that look like? That is your time of prayer. That's your time of Bible study. That's the time that you come into worship, and, and, and you should be a part of all of those. We have prayer groups for everybody. You should be a part of that, working on your time of prayer and your personal time of prayer. We have Bible study, D-I-T-W. You should be a part of that and have your own personal time uh, uh, of studying the Word of God. You should be at church, and you should worship together. That's, a, that's an important, but you should also have your own personal time of worship. All of these things put us in proximity with God. And that proximity begins to change us. We don't try to start speaking in biblical text. We don't try to start acting holy. Some of these things just happen because of who we're around. So don't get mad at me that I make a biblical jokes. I'm always reading the Bible. This is the things that come up to me. It should be all right. You shouldn't have to keep saying, well, I wish I knew the Bible better. So get to know it better. It's, a ch it's an opportunity every single day. You have the chance to go to the word and gain more. And then there's some things that you're going to have to put some effort into. Some things you're going to have to work hard at to see your growth. And I guarantee it's those things that make the biggest difference. It's those things that become the biggest badges of honor. It's those things that let you know that God is able to do more than you ever thought. It is those things that transform you. Now, I know many of you, you probably won't believe this. But when I first came to the faith, even as a kid, I used to have a potty mouth. This goes out to my children. No, that does not mean that you can have a potty mouth. Amen. But I did. Man. And, I, and the funny thing is, I wasn't really good at it at first. Um, my sister used to make fun of me because I used to put the wrong cuss words together and, like, it didn't flow. Don't, don't look at me like that. You know that there are certain cuss words that go in succession, and if you switch the order, it just don't make the same thing sound right. So you got to put it in the right order. I had to become an apprentice, and my sister was more than willing to teach me. I love you. I love you, sister, if you're watching. And so, after being her apprentice, I became pretty good. In fact, I started to venture out on my own and try new things. I started to recognize that I would walk into rooms, and when people would want to come at me, you might want to slow down, because he was good with the way he could use those words. 
And I'll never forget, I finally started coming to God, like, for real. Like, there's the, the kind of saved and then the real saved. Like, I really said, okay, I'm going to really try this. And I recognized I had to put some work in to not always use them words. And I was partially good because I didn't use them words around my parents. So I knew I could turn them off. But all of a sudden, one day, I look up. And I'm not even thinking about those words now. They don't have the same influence and impact on me. In fact, I would go back and try just to make sure I still got it, and I didn't have it as well. I started messing up the order again. It, 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 it didn't even taste right coming out of my mouth. And I recognize my story may not be yours. Some of you may be like, well, Pastor, that's not been my experience. Uh, they taste very good in my mouth, actually. And, uh, <laughs> but whatever your thing is, you should have the area that you're looking to grow in this year. What are we willing to look more like Christ in? What are we willing to shift because we know that Christ is this way? We want to be like Christ so that we can live into the fullness that God has called us. As I was going through this study, it finally made sense why the word hypocrite was such an appropriate title for so many that lived in the church. Hypocrite comes from the Greek word that really means actor. You would put on a mask and you would act one way, but you really were a different way. And then the spiritual growth thing landed and it says, so the ultimate goal of spiritual growth it's so that your beliefs, your words, and your actions match. That when you stand up and say a thing, it's the real thing that you believe, and it is the way that you actually lead your life. This is the point of spiritual growth. But that means it's growth. So there will be people who are not already fully aligned that are on the boat. And if we always try to kick folks off the boat because everything ain't fully aligned, we haven't given the space for growth to show up. So I recognize there will be some of you that you're still working to align your hearts and your minds with your actions. And I get it. And we're going to keep pushing you and encouraging you. But we're not going to kick you out just because everything don't align right now. But we do expect that next month will be better than this month. And, and next year will be better than this year. And five years from now will be better than where you are right. That's what we're hoping for. So now I close for real. I'm Baptist, so I get a couple of them. So if we are meant to look more like Christ, grow into the ways of Christ, one might ask, well, what does Christ look like? How do we know if we're getting there? Well, I just went through Matthew and start pulling out a few things that stood out to me that helped me to recognize what Christ looks like. Christ was tempted in the wilderness, but didn't give in to temptation and use God's word to build on that faith. That, that's some of the ways of Christ. That, that Christ preached repentance of sin, meaning that there is sin and we should change, but he invites others to come along in that process. 
and doesn't look down his nose just because they aren't there. He teaches about he teaches for correction. That the idea that Christ is using the word of God and using the truth is not so that he can puff himself up or for position, but it's to make sure that people know that you should be loving your enemies, that you should be giving to the needy, that there is effectiveness in prayer, that there is a golden rule of how you treat people, that you should do unto others as you want for them to do to you, that you ought to not judge unless you desire to be judged, that there is something to the ways of Christ. But he didn't stop there that he cared enough that he went around healing people and maybe you can't just lay your hands and heal folks but you ought to be supporting those that need healing this means that Jesus was going around setting up free clinics so folks can get health care maybe we ought to be supporting that more folks will have access to health care he was going around and he was moving the demon possessed maybe we should be helping out so those with mental issues can get the help that they need he would be going around feeding the 5,000 with two fish and five loaves of bread. Maybe we ought to be handing out something so those that don't have food can eat. He was walking around and they would keep bringing folks to him and he would still stand there and care for them because our God was compassionate. And what would it look like if the church of Jesus Christ was as compassionate as Jesus was? Maybe we ought to be the ones that are standing up for the least of these. Maybe we ought to be the ones that are fighting against those that are oppressed. Maybe we are the ones that should be saying, stop talking about building a wall and let's help the ones that needs to get into immigration. Maybe we should be the ones that are acting like Christ. Maybe we should be the ones that are willing to sacrifice ourselves for others. We talk about our salvation all the time and we act like it is a Jesus thing and not a role model thing. That when Jesus comes into the earth wrapped in flesh, he's not here because of a problem he had, but because of a problem we had. And that problem actually was against him. We were offensive to him. We broke the heart of his father. We constantly walked in sinfulness and instead of coming and giving us what we deserved, he came and gave us what we did not deserve. He gave us an opportunity to have eternal life. He made sure that instead of taking our blood, he gave his own blood. That instead of us having to be crucified, he took the crucifixion. That instead of us having to take the grave, he took the grave. So that then he was able to be raised up again with all power in his hand. So that we too could be resurrected again with him. Maybe the greatest place that we could be living into the fullness of who Jesus is is in our forgiveness. We are so busy wanting to make people feel bad for making us feel bad that we no longer look like the one whose name we bear. I know they hurt you. I, we can talk about microaggressions. We can talk about oppression in all these ways. We miss Christ when we begin to hate them just as much as they hate us. And 
our spiritual growth shows up when we won't let their hate transform our love. That's what growing in Christ looks like. And I pray you grow with me. Let's go to God together.